State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Yvette Demiri, product manager at Steers Business about her professional development journey and the state of subscriptions in the African continent. Steers Business combines a thorough understanding of Nigerian economic affairs with an analytical approach to news. Let's begin. Hi, Yvette. How are you? I'm doing well, Mahe. It's always good to get in touch with you again. Like we've been on and off in touch for a few years now um, through the community and stuff like that. So finally good to have you on the podcast. Yeah, definitely want to bring you on, particularly because when I spoke to you guys a while back, maybe almost six months ago, you guys were really pushing on stairs subscription side. So definitely wanted to talk to you about more of that and and just present everyone as well about stairs and what, what you guys are doing. But before we do that, I would love you to just give a bit of a background about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, great. So I really started my career out in a completely unrelated industry, in oil and gas, which is very popular here in Nigeria as an analyst, but um, moved swiftly to media, which is where sort of my passions were. Um, So I started that career uh, with Nigeria's largest business publication here, Business Day. And so, you know, working for Business Day, I was really responsible for leading the digital transformation there. So think about culture change in the newsroom, thinking about redesigning workflows to publish digitally alongside a print, pretty successful print publication. Um, So I'm really proud of the work that my team did there. Yeah, so I I left Business Day to join another business media publication, I would say, Stairs Business. So we're still very much a startup and we sort of love that, the energy that comes with that. Yeah, so currently, well, I started at Steers as a growth editor, so very much in the newsroom, um, worked with the growth team as well, but really um, my, my main team was in the newsroom there where I was responsible for sort of growing the reach of Steers business. And more recently, I've taken on the role as product manager, you know, which is when we, we started our conversations around um, around when we're ready to, to launch the subscription. Um, so, yeah, so we did that about 15 months ago. Haven't looked back since. I'm going to definitely ask you about some of the lessons you learned there. But um, I think as well, you had your education overseas as well. I think you went to college in New York from memory. Did that play a role or did that give you perspective Oh, no, no. I wasn't actually even in Chicago, which is a much better city than New York. <laughs> but don't tell New York that. Yeah, so I did my degree in political science, um, which really has very strong synergies with a journalism degree, I think. But I, I would definitely say my time at Chicago influenced my sort of passion for media. Obviously, a very famous sort of storied newspaper there in the Tribune and lots of great journalists coming out of the city. I mean, it's a really interesting city to cover as a journalist. So I would say that definitely sort of played an impact there. More generally, I'm really, really fascinated by how media influences people. I would say that's sort of the underlying, that's what drives me, right? Like how what you consume influences who you are, who you want to be, who you, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. How are you portraying the value to your audience, particularly being in Africa and trying to get them to subscribe? Like what's the current value proposition you're trying to show them? We recognize the fact that the current media environment here is very much just like reporting. So it's it's very much sort of, um, here's what happened, here's what happened, here's what happened. But we like to think that we, for our readers, we put that in context. What does it mean? What does it mean for you? So the value proposition really is for our readers to get smarter with steers. 
so that everything comes together, right? So we're very focused on providing context and providing data. Data is another huge part of our value proposition. You know, internally we say, you know, without, without data, you're really just another person with an opinion. So yeah, we're very focused on making sure our readers have the data to, to back up their decisions. That's sweet. What makes theirs like come to the point and say, okay, I think, you know, we've got enough of the data and everything else to make this a subscription or are you trying to sort of build a habit or, or a new normal in terms of what you can expect in terms of general journalism versus the journalism that you guys are doing? How did that come to fruition, I guess? Yeah. So sales business started up as a, a, like an email subscription, essentially. So you could sign up um, on the site and every Friday we would provide essentially a full article sent via email. And we were just really, we were really also flattered by the loyalty that, that came from that newsletter. And so obviously we're thinking about how do we monetize this around the numbers, looking at you know a, a traditional media model with advertising, sponsorships, events. And it just didn't, it didn't make sense. And it wasn't really, it didn't see, it lend itself to being a sort of VC backable enterprise that moved us towards subscriptions. And then, you know, I think the more you sort of study successful media publications, you see that it has this interesting flywheel where you're, if you're constantly generating content that your subscribers want to see and people are subscribing, it allows you to produce even better content. And so we really wanted to make that happen. I love when you said flywheel. It's you're singing, you're listening, you're speaking my language. So that's awesome. So like, you found that the business stats and everything else was the, the pinnacle of that. And then you, now you're building up from there, which is awesome. Is the audience mostly from Nigeria or do you see that it is across Africa as a continent? Like what's the growth plan from there? Yeah. So currently our audience is predominantly based in Nigeria. So maybe about 60, 70% are based in Nigeria. Obviously Nigeria has a large diaspora. So a lot of our audience is coming in from the US, UK, um, South Africa, Canada, those are sort of the main audience locations after Nigeria. So we are really eyeing, I would say, in the next in the next few months, the diaspora play. And even beyond the diaspora, because of Nigeria's booming tech ecosystem, there's a lot of investor interest in understanding the continent, uh, the country rather. And um, so we're, we're really um, trying to position ourselves to capture that. I think we very much, we know already sort of the audience profiles who are currently reading sales, and we think there's a lot of room for growth um, to capture the, the booming investor interest, especially. Nice. I think that's very important. How are you going to try to capture the diaspora? Is it through more segmentation, or is it just covering more stories across the board? Or what are you guys trying to think about when you're going international or going targeting the diaspora? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot of work to do when it comes to segmenting that audience. Um, so trying to look, at, trying to understand more of what they use Steer's business for? What job does it do for them? So we've obviously spoken to a few of them already and we know that there's a lot of like academic interest. So people use Steer's business um, because they're probably writing some research on you know education in Nigeria or agriculture in Nigeria, something along those lines. Um, so I would say 100% more research is, is on the way there. But we're also really excited about the upcoming elections in Nigeria, they're really upcoming. It's still kind of far, 2023. <laughs> but we do think that is a very interesting play for us. 
actually, I would say locally in Nigeria, Stairs Business came to popularity when we did our first election center. People coming to see how different states, uh, how the election was playing out in different states, um, their local governments, etc. So we're really excited about how we're going to iterate on that for the upcoming elections and how obviously that will attract an international audience. Very exciting for us. Nice. What's been the most interesting aspect of your role in both the growth editor and your product role being in STERS for the past 15 months? Like, what would you say is the most interesting or the high at the moment? Yeah, I would say... Um, so the product management role was very new to me. Um, I still is definitely still learning as much as I can about how that role functions within news organizations. I think the most challenging part was not even launching the subscription, but thinking about growth. So and managing, I guess I'd call it competing interests. So once you launch a subscription in the news organization, you then have at least as far as like African publications are concerned, I think you have to think about managing the subscription business side of things, as well as thinking about how do we continue to create a product that's new and interesting in terms of how we're showing our content to our, our readers. So those two things, even though they're related, because obviously the more engaging a product is, the more likely people are to subscribe, they actually tend to compete for resources. At least that's been my experience so far and managing that and making those tough decisions like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to work on, for example, building a comment section. We're going to actually work on improving the subscription management side of things that tends to compete for resources, those kind of decisions. Um, and so that's, that's been pretty tough. That's been tough, but exciting. You know, you learn a lot about what it takes to, to make those kind of calls. Is that decision-making now coming more in your team or in the product side, or where is that decision-making, the final decision on that prioritization coming from? Yeah, I would say the, the prioritization is definitely owned by the product team, but with the nature of any kind of, I guess, digital product development, it involves all stakeholders. So we're speaking to the newsroom, we're speaking to growth, growth teams, um, just to be able to make those kind of calls and make sure everyone is aligned that indeed, this is the priority to work on right now. And I think it's particularly tough for publishers in Africa because the subscription infrastructure isn't as developed as like our, our European peers or, or American um, peers as well. It just isn't there. So find yourself building a lot of things in-house. Yeah, that, that's where we are currently. In, in what sense is it not developed? Like you, you can't get something off the shelf from... A subscriber or is it just factoring in the privacy laws or what's the things that you have to build in-house the off-the-shelf part is tough so um i'll speak for nigeria which is um you know a pretty large market as far as any the continent is concerned so there are off-the-shelf products owned by for example we use an off-the-shelf product owned by a, a popular payment gateway here so they provide the payment processing as well as the subscription product and it's pretty good it's pretty good but i think what we found is that we want more flexibility we need more features so we then of course look to the many off-the-shelf products you know popular sort of brands the curly's charge etc and the issue we then run into is that many of those products are not, they don't have an integration with gateways that work for local payments, which is 70% of our audience, as I mentioned. So that's an issue. 
right? And those are conversations that haven't really been had before. Like there's been no need for Chargebee to integrate with like a local payment gateway option here. So those are things that we're having to, to think about now as we become more ambitious. And then on the reverse side, we found we find that we also tend to, like our local gateways tend to have challenges processing internationally dominated denominated cards rather. So people paying from the US might encounter difficulties. So all these sort of holes, we find ourselves like missing revenue opportunities here. And I don't think that problem is unique, but we're in fact pretty certain it isn't. So it's also one that Steers as an organization is really interested in solving. We just received a grant from Google News Initiative to build a subscription. Yeah, to build a subscription product for really, I guess, I think the most ambitious um, subscription businesses um, in Africa. I'm really happy to hear that. Congratulations. That's awesome. I'm guessing you had to go through the accelerator in terms of the growth workshops. And, and then from there, they, maybe I'll let you explain how that works for people who don't, we have another. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so um, the Google accelerator is different, although we have been through an accelerator program, but it is different from the Google News Initiative. So that is a pretty um, extensive application process, a couple of different conversations with the Google News team. And then, yeah, and then if you're successful, I think it's a, it's a sort of a milestone-based, I would say, project, right? So you agree on the milestones um, with Google, and then you proceed. Yeah. What advice would you give to other publications in Africa if they want to do that? Like, did you have to put together, like, I mean, another project in the milestones you had to agree to, but like, was there anything in the learning process from that that you can share? Yeah, so I think for us, we were really focused on the internal generation of that idea. So I would say to improve as much as possible the quality of the idea that's chosen for um, the application, for that application. So for us, we have a lot of sort of entrepreneurial people in the organization, in in STEERS. Um, So we did have a sort of session where we each proposed an idea or two and a pretty detailed spreadsheet or something like that. I think it was a spreadsheet we use where we sort of detailed why we think it'll work, um, who the audience for this is, what the problem we're trying to solve. So we tried to improve the quality of the idea that we eventually proposed by making sure there was a diversity of ideas and a robust discussion about what our application should consist of. And I think that worked very well. It created also alignment. Like, indeed, we think this is the biggest opportunity here. This is the biggest problem we have to solve. Yeah, it helps if you have experience with the problem, um, which in our case, we had a lot of very painful experience with, with subscriptions. This episode is brought to you by State of Digital Publishing, a platform and network for digital publishing professionals. Become a member and receive access to exclusive insights, reports, how-to guides, ready-to-use templates, and other resources for digital publishers. Click Become a Member to learn more. Make a commercial, what was the requirements you had to make a more commercial? Like, was it just having that North Star metric and then using that as a way to, to pitch the project and milestones? Like, what was the steps from there? Great. So I think it's, it was a lot of close study and a few conversations with other publications that we knew might be facing similar issues. So by way of observing, for example, someone in the team was subscribed to a pretty popular 
publication here. And he noticed that all of a sudden he just stopped receiving debit alerts on a monthly basis, which he had signed up to, um, to support this organization. And that, he did not cancel his, his subscription. So that just sort of points to the gaps potentially that this organization was experiencing. So we, we knew that there was a market there and we, we just proceeded to have a few conversations. So we felt confident that at least the initial audience for, for the product they wanted to build would be there. And then, of course, you think more broadly about the larger market for beyond publishers as well. Oh, nice. No, that's, that's good to hear. Where are you guys up to now with the accelerator? Yeah, so I think we are really essentially making sure that the team that's being put together for that is is a, is a good fit. And we're coming up on, um, I think, I believe one of our next milestones, which is really to ensure that we have produced our research subjects. So I'll, I'll put it that way. So who, who are we going to be doing our initial research for the product with market research, as well as like understanding more broadly, what are other kinds of problems that um, publishers are facing uh, with subscriptions? Um, so we're really just kicking into research mode just to really nail down what the MVP for that will look like. So in that case, like, is that a different product within the subscription? So I just want to make clear on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very important question. It, it is, it's separate from Steers Business. Um, I'm, you know, like I mentioned, I'm the product manager for Steers Business, which is our own um, sort of media publication. And then the other product is completely separate, but still within Steers as an organization. Nice. So I guess yeah, that was one thing that I had in my mind, like should publishers put all the eggs in one basket or should they consider trying to diversify? And it seems like you guys are diversifying. Yeah. Well, I think there's a saying that the, the best revenue stream is multiple revenue streams. Um, so I think that's really true across all publishers. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there any discussions on, on thoughts around first party data, you know, advent of the third party cookie ending next year, like, has there been any planning or priorities on that yet? Or have you heard anything in Nigeria or your colleagues in Africa about things that they're doing that you think is worth noting? You know, that's a great question. I can't say that like conversations around that issue have really taken off here. But I mean, I, I would love to sort of throw the question back at you and, and hear how other publishers are, are preparing for that. Just because... um. Yeah, I think very it's still it feels distant for publishers here, like a distant problem. But I'm just curious to hear sort of the urgency from people you've spoken to as well. Yeah, briefly, and we can definitely have a chat as well afterwards. Basically, a lot of them, when there was that rush during April, a lot of them were moving towards making their websites first party compliant and and also even like doing data partnerships and things that can help them create better products. But I guess there is still that chatter there, but it has definitely died down and it's just more of a long-term play that people are, publishers are playing. So yeah, I mean, we, we still get case studies and examples of that, but that's in a nutshell of that. I mean, do you think the reason why that's the case in, in Nigeria or Africa is because it's more of a last minute thing that just getting rushed or do you think that there's other example, I maybe like technology or other priorities that they want to focus on first? It's definitely a case of priorities. And possibly even one of sort of attitudes to data here. I am, I mean, I could be wrong, but sort of the feeling I get is, is, you know, people sort of in Europe and the US are much more, what I say, aware and concerned about how their data is being used than people are here. 
that's just sort of the feeling I get. But at least from an organization perspective, it's definitely one of priorities. Obviously, everyone will be compliant um, <laughs> when when the time comes, but it, it's definitely one more of priorities. No, definitely. In terms of like, as a segue to technology, I guess, from my understanding, you know, mobile phones, smartphones are more commonly used. So has that played a factor in how you guys have shaped the subscription offering or the internet, like internet connection in how articles are displayed or whatever design factors you have to consider in creating the subscription product? Yeah, absolutely. So Nigeria, and I think really most of the African continent is definitely mobile first. Um, so in most, in fact, you're probably doing something wrong if 70 or 80% of your audience is not coming from mobile. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's um, I think design-wise, we lean heavily towards mobile. We just finished some pretty pretty interesting internal discussions around our upcoming mobile app and looking at, you know, across the board, how different publishers choose to release their app, like some, especially the subscription-based publication, some will release an app only for subscribers, uh, for example. And so we were contemplating sort of the implications of that decision in such a mobile first, I guess, among a mobile first audience and how that, how that might, might sort of hamper growth. So we are, like I mentioned, we don't have an app yet, but it's something that we believe is kind of critical uh, to the future, to our future success. And this, the decision we sort of reached was that we're not entirely convinced that, a, for example, a subscriber-only mobile app is the way to go here, um, just because obviously consumer habits are changing and leaning towards um, mobile. In fact, you have, uh, for example, Netflix here in Nigeria, they've actually created a like a cheaper option for people who only want to browse on mobile on mobile so they're treating like other screens as sort of premium screens and it sounds like you pay more if you want to be able to use netflix on on um on larger devices so i, I think it just it lends itself to the point that really everyone is is on mobile and if you're not there if you're not if you don't have an app you're there's a you're missing out essentially interesting Looking ahead the event, I guess, I know we spoke about quite a few things that you guys are planning and working towards, i.e. the accelerator and, you know, the election that's coming up. Like, what's some of the immediate things that, you know, you're excited about and what things that you, you're looking at working on at the moment? Oh, me personally? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about the app, which I just spoke about. So we're really excited to, to finally have that available to readers hopefully soon. And then, I mean, I think on a personal level, I'm just, I've been following this conversation around media and NFTs and sort of the possible use cases there. I've gone down a bit of a rabbit hole, I think, but it's, it's one of those things where I think if conversation and research continues, it could sort of change the sort of financial, do I say, prospects for many media organizations. So I'm really, I'm still very much a, a novice in terms of, of my knowledge there, but I think personally, that's really exciting. And I'm excited to see where that body of work goes. Yeah. I've seen like the Atlantic and a few other publishers already setting up their own stores and selling their own licenses and creatives and stuff. So, I mean, do you think that that help actually democratize or put you know, Africa on a level playing field in terms of creating individual assets and digital work? Yeah, I hadn't even thought about it on an African level, but I think you're absolutely right. Like just thinking about the the adoption of like, you know, 
other sort of Bitcoin and um, other um, blockchain-based technologies here. I think absolutely it could really make media more interesting and more investable industry here as well. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you've given me some food for thought here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to, yeah, I know I'm always asking you from the African context because you're based there and I value your insights on that. So yeah, hopefully that is the case because like, I think we are, although we're looking at Europe and US and all those other countries as an example, there's definitely other pockets where the potential is there. And I think it's important to help that get that realized. So yeah, um, yeah, for sure. You know, in saying that, Yvette, what's some career advice or some words you can say to other people that might want to get into product management or get into a similar situation as you? What's some of the lessons that you've learned that you can share? I think for those trying to get in, it is easier to become a product manager without experience in an, organi- in an organization that you're already in. At least from just speaking to people, I found it quite challenging because every organization uh, who's trying to hire a product manager tends to want someone with experience. And of course, you know, that's it's not always the case. At least for me, um, you know, I transitioned internally to product management. So it was sort of a lucky break. And I think when it was offered to me, I think the you know the answer was immediately yes, um, just because it, it makes your career much broader, right? That it it opens up many opportunities for you to travel across different industries with that skill set. Um, so I would say definitely seize it, create it, create a role for yourself if it doesn't already exist, if you can, if you have that sort of influence within your organization. And I think for those within product management, I can only speak to sort of one of the early. Uh, lessons I, I would say I've learned, which is just the importance of over-communication, right? I almost feel like it's one of the most critical skills for any product manager, being able to engage and align stakeholders on a daily basis. So I would say you're always better off over-communicating um, than under-communicating because you will, it's amazing how much information needs to be, needs to be um, conveyed on, on every decision and you, I don't think you can actually overdo it so just you know as much as possible focus on that should I send you a 100 page report would that help over communicate things or <laughs> I mean part of learning great communication is learning how best to you know convey the information so 100 page report you're on your own there <laughs> yeah, it's going to become a paperweight on the table I guess for sure um, <laughs> And that's, that's, that's good. I mean, yeah, everyone's doing their own thing. So like you're trying to put everyone together and over communicating so that everyone's on the same page is definitely like yeah. it's, it's a pivotal point. So no, I agree with you. And I think that's, that's really important. Yvette, with that, I guess um just wanted to really thank you for your time. It was very interesting to hear your perspective and it was good to connect again on a personal level. So thank you and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Ryan. It was great connecting with you as well. This episode is brought to you by State of Digital Publishing, a platform and network for digital publishing professionals. Become a member and receive access to exclusive insights, reports, how-to guides, ready-to-use templates, and other resources for digital publishers. Click Become a Member to learn more. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.